I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, friends. I'm Effie Parks. Once a month, I release this extra special episode in a series I call A Rare Collection. It features a few people from the rare disease community, each telling a true story with the same theme. I'm super excited to present the eighth episode in this new storytelling series. I've always been moved by storytelling, and I believe there is so much power in them for both the listener and the storyteller. I'm the luckiest podcaster ever in that this is what I get to do for fun, passion, and purpose. The theme for today's stories is new beginnings. The storytellers have the utmost freedom to be creative and to take the theme wherever their heart desires. Here is a story from Leah Moore, Mama to Jordan, who has Cree de Shah. When I think about a new beginning, it's the moment where as a parent, I feel like I can take a breath and start to access something else that's been on my to-do list for a very long time that I haven't been able to pay attention to. So the first time I remember doing this, my daughter was seven years old. We had really begun to understand how to support her and her diagnosis. We had her team of therapists in place. We had her epilepsy medication under control. We really began to feel like we were in a rhythm of life with her. Coincidentally, we also were starting to be in a rhythm with our twin boys who were now three years old. So it was springtime and we started to plant little tiny gardens outside of our house. They each had a box and they put some seeds in the box. And out of all the seeds, one flower grew. Not only did it grow, but it grew very, very high. And it was a tiny little sunflower. And one of my sons would come home every day and say, hi, sunflower, or hi, flower, and give it a hug and wrap his arms around it just carefully enough so that he didn't crush the flower. And my daughter, Jordan, would watch him as he loved his flower and didn't touch it, which was a really, really big deal for our family because of her lack of impulse control. She would always sort of step on things that weren't hers and accidentally trample things that weren't hers. So this felt like not only the world was getting a little bit more, re you know, there was more rebirth in the world because of the sunflowers and the flowers, but also maybe something with my family. And that same week we had our roof needed to be repaired. And by the time the work was done, we thanked the people and saw that the sunflower had been destroyed. It was snapped in half. 
whether it was from the wind, whether it was from one of the workers or whether Jordan accidentally got to it, we don't know what happened. And my son saw it and he was devastated. And in his three-year-old way, just felt just like the world had ended. He cried. He'd come home every day and say, no flower, no flower hug. And it was like the most horrible thing he's ever experienced. And I hadn't realized until this point, but because it had taken me such a long time to understand my daughter's diagnosis and get her what she needed, I really didn't communicate with a lot of people. I kept my universe really, really small. I was only communicating with my family and that inner circle of friends. And I felt really out of touch with the world. And what I didn't realize is that I must have had a bigger community than I thought because one day, randomly in the mail, a sunflower kit arrived. It said, dear more children, here's a new sunflower for you to plant but there was no name. And I couldn't figure out who sent this to us. I called the roofing company. It wasn't them. I called my parents, my in-laws, my sister, not them. I called our be my best friend. I called all of the people. And with each person, they said, yeah, it's a really sweet gesture, but it wasn't me. And I realized and I found out it was my wonderful friend Nicole who's my co-worker and she listened to my stories every single day at school she listens to the highs and the lows and has always been a part of my circle and was quietly supporting me through those seven years and when I took a step back not only did I realize just how many people I had in my life who were doing that for me, but how supported I really truly had been and was. And that this new beginning that I was on wasn't just for my daughter's diagnosis. It wasn't just for my sons to understand how to interact with her. It wasn't just for their flowers to start to bloom, but it was for me too. Here's a story from Katie Lloyd, Mama to Casper, who has DeSanto Shinawi syndrome. At the ripe old age of 32, I have realized that for me, New Year is not about making resolutions or trying to become a new person, but it is a time to reflect back on the year, the highs and the lows. At the stroke of midnight, December 31st, 2021, everyone in my house was fast asleep except for me. I found myself looking up at the clear night sky full of stars through our Velux windows from bed, and the world seemed quiet apart from the odd firework, peaceful and full of promise. Gazing up at the stars, I could look back over the year and see how far we have come as a family and how far I have come as an individual. Back in January 2021, I was deep in the trenches of grief. Without a diagnosis for my son, I felt unanchored, drifting around in the ocean with neither help nor land in sight. I was overwhelmed with the sheer amount of testing, therapy sessions, and medical appointments. We were surviving on minimal sleep. We were not doing well. I was not doing well in particular. I felt like I was drowning. Every day that went by felt like I was swallowing down more water and sinking further and further. 2021 was hard, really hard. The pandemic was raging. We were separated from family, 
and had very little support. The words in my journal speak of loneliness, uncertainty, and an unhealthy amount of anxiety. Worrying about my son's future had become all-consuming. Getting my son's diagnosis of DeSantis-Schnawi syndrome in August felt like someone had turned on a light in the darkness and a hand was reaching out from a lifeboat to pull me out of choppy waters. It felt like I could finally breathe. No longer was I treading water, not knowing where we belonged. Finally, our feet stood firmly on solid ground, the shores full of welcoming faces and beautiful children. We had reached our destination, the rare disease community. Little did we know it at the time, but this community is the friendliest, most selfless and most welcoming one we would ever meet. It wouldn't take long before we were making friends all over the world. Christmas and New Year are not easy to navigate for families like mine. They can stir up a lot of feelings that have been lying dormant throughout the year. However, this year I could use the holidays to cocoon myself with those feelings. I was able to identify some emotions, such as grief, bitterness, jealousy, fear and loneliness, and process them. I could feed my face with food and at the same time feed my soul with compassion while being wrapped up in my cocoon. I took the time to take a hard look at why I felt those emotions and try to understand what triggered them. And then I let them go. I released myself from their power. Once I had done this, I could begin to move forwards towards the new year. Getting my son's diagnosis signified a new beginning for my family. A new beginning means hope. As I gazed up at the stars on New Year's Eve, I also thought about my hopes for the year to come. My hopes for my son's future have changed from since before his birth. Now my biggest hope is that he has a happy life, one that is full of love, laughter, kindness and friendship. I hope that this year and in the years to come, I can continue learning and evolving as his mother. I also hope that I can keep practicing self-compassion, especially when dealing with difficult emotions that arise when raising a rare kiddo. Hmm, maybe it turns out I do have some resolutions after all. Here is a story from Sean Baumstark, who's living with Friedrich's ataxia. The start of a new week, a new month, a new year. They're all easy marks on a calendar and a common place to start something. Anything, really. A new diet, a new exercise routine, a new meditation practice, a new habit, a new discipline. The first of the month and the first day of a new year, they'll always come. It's like a moving train that can't be stopped. New days always come, but new beginnings aren't always that automatic or easy. I've had to start over a few times, or to be more optimistic, I've had a few new beginnings. In college, I was one of the popular kids. Student body president, and being from California, my friends and I had a bit of a built-in cool factor. I felt like I was on top of the world and was going to stay there. After graduating, I took a job in Germany, committing one year to pursue a career I wanted. My year was almost up when my father was diagnosed with cancer. I returned home, not wanting to be so far away while my parents navigated such an exhausting and painful 
new beginning. I started over in the job field, this time pursuing ministry. What was meant to be a temporary job as someone's assistant in a large church turned into what I thought would be a lifetime career. Helping this church with the business operations, it was the best of both worlds for me. Putting my business degree to work and fulfilling a calling to love and serve others. A couple years into this era of life, I was diagnosed with Friedrich's ataxia, or FA, a rare neuromuscular disease that is causing progressive damage to my entire body. FA is slowly robbing me of the ability to speak, write, and walk. It also threatens to end my life early due to heart disease. Thankfully, my symptoms were and always have been mild. So, on the outside, this diagnosis didn't change much. However, on the inside, the train had started moving and there wasn't one area of life that would be untouched by its powerful motion. Not too long after this diagnosis and settling more and more into my career, one of my closest friends and I started falling in love. We bought a house, had a big wedding, and planned three years of just us before we would raise a family. I barely lasted two months. I came across several new beginnings throughout my 20s. Although some of them were short-lived and ended abruptly, there was one new beginning that had watched me from afar for over a decade. A beginning that required my attention no matter how hard I tried to ignore it. It was a new beginning that couldn't be avoided. It demanded my participation, one way or another. This train was moving and it finally locked in on my tracks. It was coming straight at me and would either destroy me or catapult me. In a sense, it did both simultaneously. I walked away from my marriage and from my career. Confronting my own sexuality was important, but apparently couldn't be done in conjunction with anything else I had known. After all, unless they are moving in the same direction, only one train at a time on the tracks. Some years passed before I believed in myself again, before I realized there was more to life than what others think of me and what I thought my own expectations were. I was fumbling through a new beginning I didn't want. Now, at the age of 40, there are a couple things I've come to realize and appreciate. Things change, whether I expect it or not. And just as routine as the sun rises, new beginnings will come too. However, not every new beginning is what I expect. Nonetheless, every new beginning is my opportunity to assess myself what I'm made of, what's important to me, and how I want to navigate change. Nothing great happens by accident, 
And if I'm not careful, this train will just move in circles. For every new beginning, there are 10 lessons to be gleaned and 10 lessons to inform the future. Ultimately, every new day offers a reason to get out of bed, an opportunity to take the helm and lead my train in the direction I want to go. Things change, so new beginnings are a dime a dozen. What I make of those beginnings is where the new habits and new disciplines matter, and ultimately, where life gets exciting. Here's a story from Angela Rohady, Mama to Eloise, with Tuba 1A. When you become a mom, you become a different person. When you become a mom of a child with a genetic difference, you become several different people. You're the nurse, the therapist, the pharmacist. You're advocating to the insurance company, to the doctors and the hospitals on issues relating to your child. The girl has changed. I fight for things I never thought before. Things like bills and waiting lists have been my jam this year, <laughs> which is completely different to who I was before her. She's also made me a more compassionate person. Being part of this community has made my heart bigger. In 2021, we had seven hospital stays, not including her five-day NICU stay. Her first hospitalization was a month's stay in the PICU. I remember thinking this would only be a week. I was wrong. <laughs> it was a month, and then we were back the following week for a week, and then we were back 10 days later again. With the hospital life, I have become very friendly with the nurses and other support staff. In addition to our many hospital stays and doctor's appointments, we go to therapy there. So we're in every week. Every single time we go, we say, we always run into someone and are always saying hi to a doctor, a nurse, or seeing two of my favorite people, Mr. Wonder and Angelica, two of the security guards. Before Eloise, I would probably just said a quick hello, just giving them a half smile underneath my mask and walked away. But she's changed me and I've become a better person. I'm more interested in others and what they're going through. I'm more interested in hearing what other people have to say. With all these changes, it's easy to lose yourself, to forget, to take a moment for yourself, to lose your name. I'm no longer Angela. I'm now mom or Eloise's mom. Every phone call is, hi, is this Eloise's mom? Or when we go to the hospital is, hey mom, how is she doing? Sure, mom. How's it going? Nobody knows my name. They just know me as Eloise's mom. To comfort myself, I dove in straight to the ice cream. The Oreos, the Skittles, I was always <laughs> running to the candy machine. I forgot to do anything for myself. And I was just living on autopilot. Living to fulfill her needs, but not my own. Basic needs went to the back burner for me. Showering sometimes was hard. Washing my hair, forget about it. It was especially hard after each hospital stay. After every delayed milestone, after every added diagnosis, after every child that was younger than her surpassed her, 
it was hard to move forward sometimes. I tried to be joyful and optimistic, and I thought I was. And in my heart, I was. But I wasn't reflecting that since I had neglected myself so much. That's been a huge lesson in 2021. It's a lesson that I had heard many times. Don't forget to take care of yourself. But I had ignored it. Or I thought, who would forget to take a shower? Yeah, moms do forget to take a shower because they're taking care of somebody else. Clear yet, I thought taking care of Eloise would also take care of myself. It's as if I thought we were the same person. So if she took a shower, I really didn't need to take a shower. We're almost always together. It was as if it was hard to distinguish her needs outside of my own. But I have separate needs and goals, and those look different now, but they're important too. I have to take control again of my life, of who I am, and what that looks like. So this year, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm still focused on all of Eloise's needs, but I'm also taking care of myself, my husband, and our family. I'm taking care of myself so I can take care of her. I'm taking care of myself so I can advocate for kids like her. She's changed me completely. I'm a whole new person. I'm ready to take this world on with the same vigor and tenacity she has been taking on getting control of her head. She's not there yet, but she's getting there, and I'm so proud of her effort. I was reborn to this complex world January 20th, 2021, and I will keep evolving. What will 2022 hold? I'm not sure. But with this little tub A1A girl, Eloise, I know I will be able to do anything. I'm so proud of you, Eloise. I love you, and I'll keep fighting for you every day of my life. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people, and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 ha!